From Carry the Load, these are lessons from the front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. Thanks for tuning in to Lessons from the Front. I am Todd Boating, and today I'm joined by former Navy football standout Jeremy McGowan. Easily the most intense yet respectful rivalry in all of sports, Jeremy and I talked about the pageantry and competitive nature of the upcoming Army-Navy football game and what it was like to play in it. He was also very quick to point out that his class at the Naval Academy was the first class to never lose to Army or Air Force. Other than that one bragging point, you'll hear very quickly that Jeremy is a forward-thinking man who comes from very grounded roots. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share for the benefit of others. Now here's my conversation with Jeremy McGowan. If you are trying to describe to someone who is completely ignorant of the game of American football, <laughs> what they're going to experience sitting in the stands watching a game between Army, Navy, what is that? How do you describe that? I'm probably a really interesting person to ask that question. I've only been back to one game since I played in it. And even then, I think I was at the tailgater too long, so I didn't get the full experience, <laughs> right? And so, But um, you were on the field for four of these games. I was. I was, which is why maybe I have a unique point of view with that question because, right, I mean, to a certain degree, when you are playing in the game, which I appreciate now, you don't see a lot of the stuff i didn't see the awesome flyover the seals jumping out of planes and landing at midfield and the march on of the entire brigade and just a um you know we were in the locker room during all those those uh moments and uh the flyovers and and so you know there, there are two different perspectives so the locker room perspective obviously was incredible but i would say having lived enough life now it's just it's such an incredible game and opportunity if to go like that has to be a huge check in the block if you are if you have a list of things to to do um to go to that game uh the fans are incredible you know you walk through even walking through the tailgaters and whatnot you probably don't even realize it you're passing you know really high ranking politicians and service people and leaders of fortune 100 companies and whatnot right just geared up getting ready to go in and um and you're just you're going in to go watch two brothers duke it out and you don't want to beat anybody more than you want to beat your brother but then there's just this special feeling about it that it's just different than and it's no offense to like an Ohio State, Michigan, or Texas, Texas A&M back in the day, or whatever that rivalry is. It's really, really different. And and how is the pageantry, the competition in that game different than what you've heard anyone else describe? Maybe I'll describe it like this: If you think about. Um, you know, a lot college football is incredibly popular here. 
college over pro, there's just this level of it's almost like a little more pureness, right? Now, obviously, we've entered unique times, but you you know, kids weren't getting paid, and it was just no traditionally, it just it's different. a more pure game. It was I a little guess. more love of the game, right? Yes. And what I would say about Army Navy is, you know, you it's a whole, it's another layer of that purity, right? Where for the most part, the kids aren't focused on going to um, the NFL or um, anything like that. And everything really is centered around, you know, all of our weights say beat Army on them, right? I mean... All, the fir- is in the, the locker room? Yes. All the weights say... Exactly. <laughs> and I would imagine Army has something very similar on the other side, right? Um, when you are a plebe at the Naval Academy, you know, every time you turn a corner, it's beat Army, sir or ma'am. It is so ingrained in everything you do all year. The week leading up to Army Navy is hard to explain what the campus turns into, right? I mean, they're just pranks everywhere. It is just, it's unbelievable. And the uniqueness of it being this genuine love after the game, right? There's zero, um, oh, I can't wait to get those guys next year, right? I mean, it really is this uh we're about to go especially for the seniors we're about to go fight together so you started off as a wide receiver your freshman year right i was recruited as a quarter option quarterback as probably many people were to the to the academy and inevitably uh yes i i played wide receiver and and return kicks in order to kind of get on varsity my my first year the defensive coordinator was always sort of after me to go over there. I wasn't really sure that I could do that, that that was me. And I, inevitably, when Coach Johnson first asked me, he said, hey, we have a, a bunch of quarterbacks now, but we think that you can really help us out. And he kind of gave me a list of things that I could do. And one of them was go to defense. But I wanted to go back to quarterback inevitably at the time. And so I said, no, I'd rather stay on offense. I think I've got a real shot to get some playing time sooner rather than later at receiver. Put me at receiver. It's kind of receiver, running back, right? And so it's like put me at receiver. And so that's as simple as that was. And that's interesting, though. You, you're the defensive coordinator is recruiting mm-hmm. you to go from the offense to the defense against his own coordinator. <laughs> he was uh, from time to was time. That, was it like a jestful thing, or was he like, "Hey, shh, don't tell anybody," but I want you to come over here. I mean, that, I, that that's interesting. He would always be in my ear about it, and I don't know that – I don't know how – it's funny because I've I've been in the same room with sort of the coordinators again, and they kind of talk about it like, oh, you stole one of our potential future quarterbacks, right? Like that's <laughs> – but at the time I wasn't – I wasn't thinking about it like that. that. You know, I probably was not going to be the starting quarterback my sophomore year, and inevitably I was the starting uh, safety my – sophomore year which I was unexpected until basically the first game and uh then I you know I just caught so much momentum on that side of the ball I really started to fall in love with it and kind of became a leader on the defense and so when it came time to sort of make that decision was I going to go back it just it I don't know it, it I didn't I didn't want to and 
Yeah. How how is how is leadership on the defense or leadership in football? How is leadership in football different from leadership in corporate America? Different from leadership in uh, your time in uniform on the the DDG ninety nine? Oh man, um, I would say it's more similar than people tend to give it mm-hmm. credit for. Uh, so leadership is leadership. In some ways, yes, leadership is leadership. Now, part of leadership is reading the room and reading the audience and understanding who your people are and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, there are so many similarities. One of the reasons we pay such close attention to it in the military is because the stakes are so high. Mm -hmm. And so you're really in tune with the dynamics of when I do this, it motivates this person this way. Or when I do this, like you're just so in tune with, leadership as a language and as a thought process and what that means, especially coming out of a service academy and then rolling into the military. Um, I want you to imagine yourself going back to the Naval Academy and you're teaching. You're standing up in front of a, uh, a group of midshipmen. What is the one thing that you are going to impart on them that is more important when it comes to leadership? than anything else? Mm, Great question, especially at an institution like that where they're just inundated with um, leadership philosophies and theories and scenarios. To me, uh, when I look back at it all, if I had to narrow it down to one concept, one word, which is not easy to do, I think I would have to stick with accountability. I just think that that at the end of the day, that's a word that many people know the definition of, but they they don't truly understand what that means, right? So right. Uh, that means whatever happens, that's that's on you. You have to get everyone ready. I think about like, uh, you know, a ship goes aground in the Navy and in no time there's like a helicopter coming out, landing. The captain of that ship gets in that helicopter and you never see him or her again, right? Like it is... Because it doesn't matter that it was two in the morning and your seaman was on watch and fell asleep and that navigator maybe made a wrong turn or whatever. At the end of the day, you were accountable. Did you train them properly? Did you just all those different layers? And that's why you have that responsibility, right? If one of your troops passes away, you make that call and you hold yourself accountable. You're not pointing fingers. You're not whatever. So you're just, I don't know, being... um, resolute and tough enough and resilient enough to take on that responsibility. I mean, is there, is there a specific instance or story that, that caused you to put accountability at the forefront of your teachings? Um, you know, so on my second ship, um, BDG, 99, the Farragut, uh, Commander Daly was our commanding officer. And when he came on. Okay, hold on. DDG 99. Yes, the USS Farragut. Farragut. Yes. Okay, so explain to people, though, before we get back to, uh, to your commanding officer, what is a DDG? It's a guided destroyer. So it's a relatively offensive ship. So does each of the letters stand for something specific? Uh, yes. 
Um, I'm really getting you. I can tell I'm really tapping into your memory bank, though. <laughs> you are. You are. Look, yeah. Don't don't test me too hard. It's a guided <laughs> missile destroyer, right? It's okay. a it's a newer version than the the old DDs, right? And so at the end of the day, it's a destroyer. And the Farragut's a, a nod to uh, Admiral Farragut from the Civil War. Got it. Absolutely. Okay. So anyway, you're you're commanding officer. Yes, commanding officer, commander daily. I remember, um, you know, there was just something different about this guy. Uh, he was not, no one would describe him as my nicest commanding officer. Uh, he um, he was just all about this. And I remember him coming in one day after we had not done so well on an inspection pretty early on after he he had come on board and him sitting us around the table and asking that question in the wardroom saying, what's the most important word to any officer? And it, people had all sorts of guesses, but inevitably to him, it was accountability. And the reason that stuck with me is because he took that to heart. So for the rest of his command, he really honed in on that, the head, uh, you know, he would know that someone messed up, maybe an enlisted person or whatever, but he was coming directly to you, right? And he was going to get on you in a way as though you did that and you messed up, right? But people got on board really, really quickly. And he held everyone accountable to a point where I got to see it manifest itself. Inevitably, we had, you know, what what we call an in-serve inspection, which happens once every five years and is like mandated by Congress and it's this huge deal. And we essentially broke almost like every record there was on that on that thing. And it was all about him teaching us how to hold others accountable. But I saw the power of that. I saw it change an entire culture in less than 12 months, right? And um, a ship operating as an average naval warship which by the way is saying something because mm -hmm. that is still at a high level um to being just absolutely elite just absolutely amazing in every way being and so that translated into our deployment right it was like man this is a we're operating at a different level right um these watches are different these these missions we're going on are are different we are really really good and it all went back to these um and maybe that's what it was holding like if you're going to hold someone accountable, it's with everything all the way down to this inspection that seems like, oh, you know, so it's not that? picking and choosing is what you're saying. It's, Correct. you know, hey, this is the expectation, not just for an inspection, but making sure that you're on time for a meeting, making sure that that the the proper communications in the turnover of watchmen is is occurring. Um, OK. Correct. Then I layer that, you know, then you go back historically and I would layer that on to, man, you know, why was that football coach so amazing when not? It's like, man, I think about it, if I really narrow it down, that was accountability, right? Or why did I do well at that one thing back then? It's like, man, I, you know, I didn't even really know what it was at the time, but in that moment I was doing it right. I was holding others accountable. And, and so, um, as I look back, it's been a pretty major theme, but that was the moment that made me, um, put a word to, a common theme amongst the many great leaders who have That's been awesome. in my life. So you leave the Academy, um, right, right as things are really, I mean, what 2005 is when you left or 2006. 
2006 would have been my last football season, but 2007, I graduated. Okay, hmm. right when things are really getting heated over in the sandbox, specifically in Iraq, you end up on a, um, uh, on a uh, guided missile destroyer, mm-hmm. uh, the Farragut, and how, where were you guys deployed? My first ship was actually the... Um, the Gonzales, the DDG 66 Gonzales, but, but we, so I did a couple of deployments, mostly we'd be in the Gulf supporting Mm -hmm. Iraq, Afghanistan, but I was also during that time, um, the special forces, mostly the SEALs got really busy, obviously Mm -hmm. with Iraq, Afghanistan things. And so one of the missions that they couldn't do as much of was what we call VBSS, which is visit board search and seizure. Okay. And that's where you get a lot of the counter piracy and, and those sorts of things like off the coast of Somalia and whatnot. Um, so like think in terms of, was it captain Phillips? Was that the movie? Yeah, that's a, okay. yes, exactly. Okay. So during, during those times was exactly when I was in and, and okay. over in that area. And so, uh, inevitably I, I raised my hand. That sounded really fun. Right. And I raised my hand and got, trained up at Blackwater by a bunch of fun or exciting exciting <laughs> exciting right I, I mean as someone who <laughs> probably wanted to be special forces kind of got talked out of trying to go that route and and it was just I was still really close I still wanted that level of intensity yeah. and um and so went and got trained up at Blackwater and 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 so did a lot of that Okay. As well during those times. So I wasn't aware of that. Over there, yeah, off the, a lot of coast of Somalia type stuff and whatnot, but it was, it was fun. So we'd basically just, you know, take the small boat off the ship and, and take it over and, um, uh, yeah, so a lot of counter piracy stuff, but also boarding cargo ships and things like that where they okay. thought they had intel and, and searching those as well. So what is the goal? When, when you, when you step off of your ship at that point, mm-hmm. And you're going to uh, a ship that y'all have come across, probably found on radar through, through, through some kind of uh, surveillance um, out beyond. Y'all get to that, to that point where this other ship is. What is the goal or the mission coming off of your ship to theirs? Again, there's different mis- missions. So like a cargo vessel mm-hmm. with possible, you know, weapons of mass de- destruction, pieces or like whatever um versus maybe a stowaway versus a mayday call because a ship is under attack by pirates right like the mission kind of changed depending on what that scenario was so probably um yeah the most famous of the missions at that time would have been the the piracy Mm -hmm. which i'd say the biggest surprise to me was that it was just it was such a constant thing like, I don't know that it wasn't really hitting our news cycle like that here. And I don't know that we were really briefed in that way. But the piracy at that time, it was just going on constantly. If they got on a U.S. ship, um, cargo vessel, it was an accident. Usually they didn't mean to do that. Uh, and so that wasn't happening a lot. That was the only time it probably hit our news cycle. But it was just. Um, you don't even hear about it much anymore, but you know it's got to be going on. I know. And so I, I do think more. At the time, cargo vessels still were not wanting to invest in the security and things that they, maybe they do now, the private security and mm-hmm. and things of that sort. But I'm, yeah, I'm I'm quite certain. Just like then, I mean, it was going on. I mean, it was all day, every day. Really? 
Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, you you learn a lot about that reading books and going to the Naval Academy, obviously, but you really get to see firsthand out there on a deployment how important it is to control the seas and, and control um, those passageways. It's just incredibly critical and there are other countries out there trying to do it and there are other countries out there that need to do it but don't have the capacity to do it that we have to help sometimes and there are there are all these little games going on and you're on edge and by the way some submarines are under there doing some things too and you're just you know there there's so much going on in what looks like like a, a peaceful not too much going on sort of scenario but there's there's at any given moment to your point, I mean, that's um, we've got a lot of men and women out there doing some pretty critical, critical work. Did you guys ever have to deploy the the big guns uh, in in support of the operations? Because, uh, uh, I mean, I don't even know how far those those weapons will shoot. I know. I guess there's a classified and an unclassified answer there. But that's yeah. So we. Um, yeah. So the, so more. There was missiles than than the guns. I see, I see. And just so, because of the yeah, just what was going on at the time, Iraq, Afghanistan. So our, our guys were really highly trained on, especially supporting Marines with with the big guns whenever it made sense. But that mm-hmm. it just wasn't as applicable during that particular war during those moments. It was, it was more protecting the carrier to get the planes off or launching missiles from the missile deck. How far away from the carrier were you? Oh, it just depends on what kind of operations you're doing and what. Typically, though, you couldn't see them, right? You were far enough away, but you couldn't see them. Is that right? I wouldn't say that. So it's a, you're in a, you're in a battle group normally when you deploy, right. if you're going to deploy with a carrier. So depending on, like, each ship sort of has a duty, and depending on your duty, you may, it may be your job to stay really close to that carrier during flight ops or whatnot, or it may be your job to kind of be really far out and, and not be seen, but adding an additional perimeter. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of different jobs. So sometimes you're very, very close and sometimes you're refueling from the carrier. Like there's, there's just, there's a lot going on in a given, depending on what's happening in that battle group in that day. Do you miss the Navy? Uh, I miss aspects of the Navy for sure. I miss a lot of it, um, but I not I don't regret getting out one bit. But uh, like it's just like football. I mean, there's just certain things that will never be appropriate, or like there are just certain dynamics that'll never come up that that you give up. And there's a certain level of closeness that you get uh, with your brothers and sisters and and your people on in the that it just. It's almost like you almost don't even have time. It's not possible to do it, right? I mean, I'm not going to go deploy with someone for eight months or whatever. You know it. <laughs> that's that's true. Nowadays, we're lucky to have an employee for eight months. It seems like, but <laughs> so so what? Uh, you know, like there's there's certainly nothing that got your heart pumping the way that you know when that game started in running out onto the field, you know, when you board that ship, there's nothing that gets your heart pumping like those moments. Right. Is there, is there one, you know, when you were out at sea, is there, is there one moment like that, that, that comes to mind? 
I think just generally speaking, whenever you get the call and you hear, you know, on the radio and you're, you know, if I'm, I was, I remember being off to the deck a couple of times and you just, you hear either the mayday call or whatever. And, you know, maybe we get the, we get the actual pirates on and, you know, we're having communications with them and we're, you know, giving the appropriate verbal warnings or whatever. And then, you know, they just start to talk a sort of way of like, we understand you're a U.S. ship and we don't really care sort of thing. Right. And so then you're just like, you know, you're down there and you're gearing up, you're in the armory. Right. I just think, you know, just that adrenaline goes up to that next level that whatever, you know, you're getting on the small boat, you're going down, you're lowering into the water. It's like, all right, like your weapons are a little more on the ready than when you're kind of approaching a vessel that you might board. Cause you don't know what's going on, but just like you're hyped up and you're, you know, and you're headed that way. And, uh, you know, people start pointing weapons at you and fight. like, it's just a very, you can't, um, you can't replicate that. Like, that's just, uh, well, well tell me a little level. bit more about that then. So, so you, you, you get a mayday call, you get the, you get the pirates on the line, you know, Hey, I hope you guys understand what you're doing here. Oh yeah. We understand what we're doing and we don't care that you're a U.S. ship. We have our own agenda. So you lower your your small boat in the water and you start heading that way, right? Yeah, and so I what happened? Uh, in inevitably, I just don't know what all I'm supposed to say and what I'm not supposed to no, say at this point. But it, it, you say what you're talking about from a security standpoint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, tell me a story that you heard. How about that? Uh, yeah. Okay, sure. Um, inevitably, right? Like you know, you might be going over and and all of a sudden you're getting weapons firing at you and someone's got an rpg pointing at this little small inflatable boat that you're in right and so it's just those moments of like okay like can you stay calm can you keep your heart rate where it's supposed to be can you keep your point like you're the officer on this thing right if you're freaking out everyone's gonna freak out like are you and how um, many men do you have with you if you were to do something like this oh uh so you probably have two rigid hole inflatable boats, uh, you know, with seven or eight people on each. Okay. Okay. And then, so the big thing is though, that, you know, what's crazy why you think you're always going to be okay is that you have this giant warship behind you and I've got all the weapons manned, right? And and, and they can see that. Oh, and they the can see that. The bad guys can see they that can you're see trained that. on them. Yeah, Absolutely. So in that moment, did you have to deploy your weapons or were they smart enough to, to say, you know what, we're not going to get out of this thing unscathed, so we should probably tuck tail and run? Inevitably, my boat would not have to employ. We got out of the way because they did start shooting and, and let the ship do its thing, right? Um, and that's probably the the toughest part that we generally, you know, it's not said that you don't want to shoot first, but generally speaking, I mean, you're trying to read those threats as an officer, mm-hmm. but there are all these um, ramifications to being wrong as far as if you, you know, if. You're talking like rules of engagement. Exactly. Yeah. And so I know anybody uh, um, hearing this would want to ask the same question that I'm going to ask. What was, how did it finish? Uh, lots of, lots of 
smoke and fire on their end of the the small vessel that they were on and um you know lots of people in the water and uh took captive who we needed to take captive and uh and and that's probably the best summary i could i could give without saying any too much so now i'm going to take you all the way back to uh you're standing in front of a class of uh of midshipmen based on that story what do you what is the lesson you want them to learn from what happened in your experience there's a good chance that someday either something really really intense will be happening or people will be feeling like the world is crumbling or uh, people will be panicking and um, there's going to be a good amount of people or at the very least a few who are looking at you and watching you and waiting to see how you respond and react or what direction you give them. Um, so make sure you're ready for that moment. Make sure you're preparing yourself for that moment. You never know when it's going to come and you never truly know how you're going to respond until it happens so do what you have to do right read the read the books go the extra mile um gain an understanding keep yourself mentally and physically prepared talk to people who have been through it before just absorb as much as you can and in as many ways as you can because you have to operate as though that moment's coming and once it does it's too late to go learn you're just going to react at that point. So g getting back to football, what is the one memory that sticks with you from the Army Navy? From your four years, undefeated Army Navy football game. Mm. Good question. I, I think for me, and this is, I guess this is a little bit of a cop out, but it really it's it's true. It was I just remember um just having my arms around uh two of my brothers who were also my roommates at the academy who were also great football players in that like last game after we had won, right? And um just knowing that football was coming to an end, uh I just think about I just I think about that moment and you know never being able to recapture that moment but just being like this is what it's all about and again I'm actually really really good friends with um a couple of those army guys that were on those other teams right and so we're really good friends now and just um just thinking about that moment which is really where you started off with the army navy question is just something special about that game uh it it really is and and so many of those people who were in that group went off to do incredible things that um, for this country that most people will never know about. Right? right. Like they, again, they didn't go to the NFL, but they went off and did, you know, I went to school with a, you know, bunch of Clint Bruce's right like this. <laughs> and so it's just um, that moment. You just can't replace it. You can't go get that moment anywhere else. Do you ever pinch yourself and go, man, here, here I am from 
you know, from a, a lineage of, of, of country folks, by way of Houston, I'm at the, the Naval Academy. I played football on a stage that very few people. And then I get to go serve my country. You ever just kind of pinch yourself and go, man, am I fortunate? So, yeah, some, I mean, yeah, it, it would be ridiculous for me to, like, one, we just don't have enough time for me to walk you through all the people and circumstances that put me in this seat, right, got me to this day, got me to accomplish all those things. It's just, I mean, the list is just, it's too, it's too long with too many people who have impacted me in that way, so. And probably some of them you don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so along those lines, does, does the name Calvin Huey ring a bell? I'm not sure. So th- this is this is an interesting fact that I that I came okay. across. Calvin Huey was the first man of color to play oh. in the Army Navy football awesome. game. And he played with Roger Staubach, whom you've worked with before. In the I past. did know that. Yes. Yes. And One so, of my favorite humans in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and. I, I just, you know, hearing what you said kind of, you know, triggered mm-hmm. that thought because I, I think I think people have tried to, to get this point across in the past. We are a product of all of the sacrifices that have gone before us. Exactly. Yes, we may have done the work, but somebody else put that brick in the road that helped us get to where we are. Oh. And so that's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. I mean, that's... In any realm that I step into, I mean, you, yeah, if you go down the, you know, the African-American trail, I mean, obviously, there, there's no realm that I don't step into today that someone took a big risk and made a bold move before I got there sure. to make it not so ridiculous for me to sit in a boardroom or be an officer or play in an Army-Navy game or attend the Naval Academy or be the quarterback of a 5A football team in, mm-hmm. in Texas, right? Like, and so, uh, yeah, that's... Um, that's a great point, right? I mean, there are there are just countless people, right? Um, yes. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a house with an incredible leader, not to derail us too much, but my, my mother was an incredible leader. Uh, and, uh, she was in the educational system, inevitably became a principal, a very well-known principal down in the Houston area, and she just got a school named after her. Really? And so... How we, cool. It was very cool. I mean, and, that's an honor. As a, that's a great honor, right? It's something I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about. I grew up around that greatness, and I, I very much so was aware of it. Uh, she was a big reason that I always wanted to be a great leader. And uh, just getting to go down there, it was a great moment to be able to pause, look back at my earlier childhood and life, and that incredible leadership that I got to witness, which was a huge advantage later going into the academy, even being a quarterback in Little League and things like that, all those things were advantages that I had because of the inspiration that I, I took from her. So that was a, so again, another great moment to look back and reflect and pull all these different nuggets from that moment and, and re-understand them and whatnot. And again, inevitably, outside of those moments, I, I just don't do it that often. I should probably do it more often. I, I don't do it that often and I, I, I don't consider that an advantage it's maybe even a little flaw, a bit of a flaw sometimes I have to be careful about that um so yeah. what what was your favorite tradition at the uh at the academy football or not uh you know one of the cool things to look at is 
if you go back and visit now, you can go see noon formation, right? Noon mill formation. So you go and you see everyone coming to the yard. I remember I got to be a, a battalion commander my senior year. And so just, you know, I'm out here with a sword and getting everybody in formation and fourth battalion, a 10, huh, right? You just have this whole big thing and people are marching in. At the end of the day, when you're there, it's just like, I'm just going to lunch, you know? <laughs> like, I'm just, it wasn't even a big deal, but you see people are there to to see it now. And so it is cool for my kids to to be able to see putting that level of discipline and tradition into something which at, at the time was as basic for us as just going to go eat a meal, right? Right. Um, and so you were excited because that was the, you know, that was the bridge to get to go eat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As you, uh, as you're aware, um, carry the load is about making sure that we honor those who never got to take off the uniform. Um, the time you served and the folks that you were, you served with, uh, or went to school with, um, inevitably some of those people probably never got to come home. Is there anybody in particular who you're carrying with you to this day that you want to make sure we're, we're remembering to honor? Uh, uh, I don't want to get too emotional about that. That's a tough question always. Um, you know, uh, one, I've had several Navy football teammates pass away, and I think that uh, Keenan Little, who was a good friend of mine, that's that's the toughest. Um, I carry him a lot. I carry him a lot. It's hard to talk about, but I I carry him a lot. In, in a way, I feel like I could have been here, been there for him because we were such good friends, and um, I'll carry that one for a long time. What do you want people to know about Keenan? Uh, it was just a great, beautiful person in a, in ways it's hard to describe. Um, he was just a hundred percent about others, despite being incredibly personally talented and whatnot. And um, and uh, yeah, he was just always there for others. And I don't I don't know that um, others were there for him when he maybe needed it the most. You guys played football together. We did. I want to press you a little bit. Tell me about Keenan. Uh, everyone loved Keenan. Like, everyone loved Keenan. He was just the most joyful person, the most. He just wanted to uh, get to know everybody and love everybody. And he wanted to be a pilot. And he just, um, he just studied his tail off. Uh, to be in incredibly tough engineering classes and, and do his best to make great grades and was the guy on the team that, you know, I was talking about the motivational stuff. He was the guy that if it was 10 degrees outside, he was going to come out, no sleeves, you know, just jersey tucked up, some of his stomachs exposed and whatnot, and he was going to make fun of everybody who wasn't basically dressed exactly like that, right, and just – uh, get everybody going and so um did he become a pilot uh inevitably no he did not he went to to pilot school and um it's it's kind of a a long long story after that but 
uh, he he ended up struggling with with some demons and um, yeah, we lost him a couple couple years ago. It's it's unbelievable that someone can be as accomplished and as good of a person as that, and that they can't see the the wonderful nature that they bring to the table um, and that they would struggle as much, but it, it it's real. I know it's real and I appreciate you sharing uh, that about Keenan with us. So Keenan Little is, is the one we're going to keep in our thoughts. I appreciate that. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lessons from the Front. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe. And please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.